to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, crisis management, emergency management, disaster planning, pandemic planning, and COVID-19, and anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, if there is something you'd like us to cover on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America webpage for the show, and underneath the graphic, there is a button that says to send the host an email. I do get all emails, and I do respond to everything. If there is a product or service you'd like to advertise or sponsor a show, um, please feel free. Reach me the same way, and I can send you some information. Uh, and a quick reminder, I'm not sure. All these conferences seem to be changing. Everything seems to be quite fluid at the moment, but currently uh, potentially be in Phoenix, September 28th for a live broadcast, but we'll see what happens there. Toronto, I'm supposed to speak at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference, October 7th and 8th. And just recently announced uh, I was going to be speaking at BCI World in Birmingham, UK, November 5th and 6th, but that will be virtual, but I'm still planning on participating. So you'll still have to put up with me at some point. And I'd like to thank everybody at BoastAssessment.com and Stone Road for sponsoring today's show. And speaking of today's show, we are continuing our monthly chat with someone who is very familiar with the show now. This is our fourth chat on COVID-19, but I think it's about our sixth or seventh show uh, altogether. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome back uh, a fellow partner in crime, Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, it's always great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity to share some, maybe some new insights with you and your listeners. Yeah, it's, it seems uh, things are changing again. Uh, you know, it seemed a little while nothing new was happening, so to speak. But the last few days, uh, all kinds of things are happening with uh, COVID-19. Yeah, you know, if you look at what's going on worldwide, really, um, there's very few places that I think actually are uh, sharing good news. And just, uh, you know, just even looking at the uh, the very famous John Hopkins dashboard, we just uh, passed over 9 million cases worldwide with 470,000 deaths. And there are some places that are just on fire, uh, of which my country is one of them. And in fact, uh, it really in the U.S., with the exception of New York and New Jersey, we, I think we have now 26 states that are having new and escalating cases. Uh, my state, California, had done very well for a long time, and then our southern California neighbors decided to, you know, kind of go out and frolic without physical distancing and masks, and now we have a huge number of cases. But that's also appearing all over the United States, especially in the South, like Arizona and Texas and Florida and so on. But Brazil, mm-hmm. Brazil is uh, trying to beat us in this race, but really they shouldn't be trying to do, but they just uh, went over a million cases today, and they have 51,000 deaths. And, and India, of course, escalating. The U.K. is doing better. 
Uh, you Canadians are doing very well, I might add, though. You're way below us, so um, you're only at 103,000 cases today. So you guys are doing good and yet, out there. And yet we're still complaining. You yeah, know. and you only have 8,400 deaths. So what are you guys doing up there that's so good, Alex? Can you teach know, your southern neighbors something? <laughs> Well, 8,400 is still 8,400 too many, but, you know, it it could be worse. So, but, you know, that's got to go to everybody who's, uh, you know, got to thank everyone who's staying at home and, uh, you know, following the guidelines. You know, they've got to get credit for it not getting out of control. Yes, and and I really want to speak for that for a moment because I I don't know about other countries uh, of that your listeners come from, but in the United States, um, public health has all of a sudden become a very political thing, and mm-hmm. in particular, the concept of both physical distancing and the use of masks has actually become a very political topic, which is kind of hard to imagine, right? If you wear a mask and you physically distance, you're protecting other people. It's hard to imagine that we would politicize that, but we have. And so many places in the United States, people are looking at it as their civil rights to not wear a mask and to actually put one on infringes on their civil liberties, which is kind of crazy to me. You know, how did that happen? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and I suppose maybe maybe when seatbelts came out, they've been around for so long it's hard to remember, um, when they first came out, they were very politicized, I suppose, as well. Anyway, people, many people didn't want to wear them because they felt it infringed on their civil rights. But the pandemic is going to go on for a long time, so maybe we'll work through this issue like we did with seatbelts. But it's, it's very disappointing, frankly, um, because at least here in the United States, if we did more of that, physically distance, and wore facial coverings or masks, we could actually get our arms around this six feet apart, of course, but we could Mm -hmm. actually make a huge difference and we could really drop our case count and we could really drop the deaths. And so it's so disappointing to me, Alex, that uh, that's not what's happening here. I think it's going to be a very grim summer, actually, here in the United States anyway. Well, that that kind of brings a a point. Does that mean we're still in the first wave or are are we starting a second wave or is it different depending on where... You are. That's a really great question. So in reality, the world, for the most part, in the West, and I'm speaking about North America, South America, and Europe, we are really in still our first wave. So if you look at the European numbers, they're pretty much down to almost the bottom of their first wave. Um, Us, however, in the West are not doing that. So in America in particular, and I'll speak about uh, the U.S. um, since I live here and I know it well, we actually came up to the top of our, our peak probably sometime uh, around the uh, middle of May. And then we actually started to come down, and we started to crest down that slope. And then we got kind of maybe, I don't know, a quarter of the way down of our slope. And then what happened is that uh, states started to reopen, and things started to happen. And then what occurred was... Um, we started to have more cases. And so instead of us Mm -hmm. continuing to go down, we sort of stopped about 25 or 30% down the slope. And now what we're doing is in some states we're just holding. I mean, we're just going, instead of of going down, we're flatlining like a a table almost. And in some Mm -hmm. states, frankly, it's going up. So we actually, to your question, Alex, we are still in the first wave uh, in North America and in South America. We are still in the first wave. 
and we won't uh, probably actually get very low in our first wave before the next one comes back in the fall, which is really unnerving to me. Well, you know, the fall is only, you know, we're at the end of June, really, that's only two and a half months away. That's right. That's and I that, think That's I, not that far. Right, right. And I think, I think really what could happen in all of this, uh, Alex, is that what's going to, uh, what could really happen is that we could actually continue this plateau uh, that we're in, with, uh, the kind of a very high second wave, and then what will, I mean, first wave, excuse me, and then what will happen is that when the cold comes back, we very likely will see what's called the seasonal effect, and then at that point, then the numbers could just jack way up from there. From that high plateau, which means when you look at the impact on healthcare in particular, it's going to be tough because here in the United States already, places like Arizona and Texas are reporting, already reporting fairly full capacity in ICUs and large numbers of patients being admitted to hospitals. And, you know, we're still in this sort of plateau, but if we jacked up really high from where we are now, it would be really tough on healthcare and also for the patients that may not be admitted or may not be able to be cared for as well as they should be because of limited staff and supplies. Well, I remember when this all started, at least I, I know you can speak for the U.S., I can speak for Canada, I guess. <laughs> we had uh, our um, <clears throat> ministers of health and uh, health professionals were saying, flatten the curve, flatten the curve. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. So everyone stay at home, you know, and cut, you know, isolate quarantine you know social social and physical distancing and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and the UK was doing that too I think they even had a, a banner everywhere that said something to the effect of uh, protect the NHS National Health Service I think they had a banner yep, everywhere. Yep, yep. and so I, I'm wondering you know now that the numbers are starting to come down is it that we're just kind of pushing these cases out like snow plowing you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. Instead of it spiking, we're, we've kept it down, but we're just moving it and spreading it out now. Yeah, I think that's probably a good part of it. It is being spread out. And, and the problem with that, of course, is that that means we have a lot going on in lots of places. And I think the thing, and I think we might have talked about this last time, is that one of the things that I'm concerned about is, is really the, the health and mental health of healthcare workers uh, throughout the world. Because if you look at the intensity that they've been working, if you look at the serious illness, I mean, really, really, really sick people and um, lots of personal risks that they themselves are feeling, there's been 145 uh, healthcare workers that have been uh, have died from COVID-19 in the United States. You know, that's, that's 145 nurses, doctors, janitors, um, orderlies. Um, that's crazy. And so they're personally taking a risk. They're also really working hard, hard, hard in really difficult situations. And so I'm concerned about their physical and mental health as we go forward because we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. Uh, any ideas how to address that? Because if we do have... You know, if we're still in our first wave and we've got a second wave coming in the fall, you know, people get flu, mm-hmm. allergies, like I get, you know, mm-hmm. how are we actually going to be able to handle, you know, not just COVID-19, but, you know, mental, increasing mental health issues with front frontline workers, you know, even people in grocery stores, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, how are we going to manage that? 
You know, that's really an important question. I think there's a lot of people that are struggling to figure that out. I think part of the solution might be not only, obviously, increase mental health support to them because they desperately need that, but even more than that, frankly. I think the idea of rotation, of moving people out of a COVID unit, for example, almost kind of like you have a rotation to a different unit where you can can mm-hmm. actually kind of just have a regular patient or regular day. And I think the rotation of staff out to other locations, you know, maybe what happens is they give them, you know, a 10 days off or something or two weeks to quarantine and go home and chill out and then come back and work for two months or something on a regular unit and then rotate the other people that are trained into those other units. You just can't do that kind of intensity day in and day out. It's just It just kills you. And so there has to be some way to give them a respite. To keep them in the workforce would be important, but to give them some other activity they could be doing that's less stressful and then move other people through that space so that there's there's a little bit of a shared burden, if you will, for those people that mm-hmm. are trained for that kind of skill set. Uh, and then also just heavy heavy reinforcement for their the, them and their families in the area of mental health because it's it's hard on their families just like it's hard on them. Uh, it reminds me of um, like professional athletes who are playing – you know, either baseball or hockey, um, football, soccer, all kinds of sports, mm-hmm. day in, day out. They have to get to a point where they stop, you know, because th- for the same reasons. You know, they need to relax, mental health, reconnect, you mm-hmm. know, and, and be able to take a breath. So mm-hmm. that's got to be tough, you know, and that that's just sports. But So frontline, when, you know, their job is to help people, but they're the, also the people now who need some help. Is there anything that maybe we can do ourselves? I know we're going a little bit off off topic, but I think maybe it might be good to do anything we can do. You know, I think there's been a lot of things that people have tried to do, and I think to some extent it's been helpful. So, of course, like in my neighborhood at 7 o'clock every night, people are yelling, screaming, howling, pounding on uh, on on plates and, and pans, but I've talked to healthcare workers. I mean, my background's in nursing, so I know a lot of people still in the field. And, and you know, they say, well, it's nice that you're doing that, but first of all, we don't hear you. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice idea, but it's not really helpful. There have been people that have done things like uh, send food to lo- locations, um, send um, gift cards to uh, nursing staff. You know, I think there's probably things like that that we could do that could, um, you know, sending pizza to a unit, um, uh, sending, a, a, you know, like 10 Starbucks cards or whatever it might be, just so people are, are knowing that people are thinking about them. Something like that might be a good thing to do. If you actually know a healthcare worker, to actually maybe send, a, you know, send them over a home-cooked meal when they're home or, you know, offer to, to mm-hmm. sit their kids um for an evening or something. And, you know, there might be, if you know healthcare workers, you could probably do something personal for them that would have a lot of meaning. And I think just reaching out, frankly, if you know anybody that's in the field and, and asking them, how you doing? And let's talk, I think would be a wonderful thing to do because that, you know, there's, no, there's nothing that beats having somebody reach out to you and, and just sort of well, see how you are. Yeah. <clears throat> and I do know a couple of people who are working in um, long-term care homes right now mm. and mm-hmm. one was actually um showing symptoms of COVID-19 oh. actually had to stay home uh, for two days in quarantine and mm-hmm. I know someone else who's working in the hospital and my sister-in-law is working uh, double triple shifts 
because oh, mm-hmm. a lot of the people she works with are too afraid to come in to work. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I know it gets really tough for, for some, some people. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. Now, now it, it's, it, how do I, I don't want to get into the political side of this, but with the recent, um, event around George uh, Floyd for anyone around mm-hmm. the world who might not know. Yeah, the know. killing of George Floyd. Yeah, yeah. the killing of George, George Floyd by a police officer in Minneapolis. Um, there has been a lot of uh, social gatherings around the globe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how is that going? You know what? I think let, let's talk about that in the second segment because we've actually come sure. to the end of our first one. So yeah. but let, let's start our second segment on that one. Um, and we're today we're talking about COVID-19 um, with Regina Phelps. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests, which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking once again with Regina Phelps about COVID-19. Um, Regina, we got right to the end of our first uh, segment there, um, and and I wasn't really paying attention to the timing very well, but uh, I did start to mention <laughs> the killing of George Floyd and all the demonstrations that that has triggered, uh, not just across the United States, but here in Canada, throughout Europe, and many other countries. How do you see that playing out, not the political side of things, but Mm-hmm. How do you see that playing out with regards to COVID-19? It's a really great question, and I think certainly there's a lot of concern about that. And we're going to start, if there's going to start to be an increase of cases, we should start seeing that, I would imagine, towards the end of this week uh, to begin. Now, I understand in Houston there's already been a, a spike in cases that they're attributing to the march marches that have been held for George Floyd uh, but I'm not sure if that's going to be a significant bump or not. So let me just explain what I'm, what, why this is a different thing. Now, certainly in a demonstration, the good news is, is it's outdoors. Uh, also, in many of the demonstrations, many people did wear masks. Not all by, by far, but many people did wear masks. The downside about the demonstrations is there was lots of screaming. And, of course, there would be screaming because it was a horrific killing and people have need to express themselves, obviously. But all of that screaming and yelling, uh, call and response, what that does is there's a lot of droplet nuclei coming out of people's mouths. And if they weren't wearing a mask or the mask they were wearing got really damp, which, of course, it would after a period of time, then the mask becomes less efficient. And if you don't have a mask on, you're just spewing out all of that stuff. So there is a there is some chance, of course, that there could be an increase in cases. I think there's a mixed feeling as to whether it will be large or not, simply because, thank goodness, they were outdoors, and in many places there was a pretty decent breeze blowing, which certainly helps. So, yes, there will be certainly cases from that event, those events, and ongoing still here in the United States. However, I don't think it's going to be as bad as if you trap somebody in a building, you know, for five hours or something, and they weren't wearing a mask and they were sitting right next to somebody. That's a totally different animal. So we could, like you said, we could start seeing some of that potentially the end of this week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. so that to your point in the um, first segment where you said we're kind of plateauing, would yeah. that either keep us in a, potentially keep us in a current plateau or would that be considered a second wave? Where where would nope. you put that in? That's a great question. So actually, it would not be a second wave. A second wave means you have to finish the first, technically. (laughs) And we haven't finished the first. And so that's the key thing is that in an actual wave event, you actually have, you know, a rise of cases. Think about this big mountain that appears and goes up, and then it has a nice little crest across the top, and then it comes down. And it should get close to the bottom. That's technically. and And then it should have a kind of a lull at the bottom, not a plateau like we're having now, but kind of a lull that might go on for six, eight weeks or a little bit longer, and then it goes back up. What we might do because of what's happening, at least here in the United States, is we may never get to the bottom, really, of the first before we actually then 
add on to this uh, starting in the fall. So even though you often hear in the news reports, oh, my gosh, we have the beginning of a second wave. No, because we haven't anywhere completed the first wave. Would, now, some places have said they are in a second wave, like South Korea. South Korea is, yes. But remember, they started uh, certainly in January and February, okay. and they actually got to the bottom. <laughs> That's the, okay. you know, if you look at their cases, they actually got down to where they had, you know, a handful or none. Uh, and same yeah. for China. And same for Singapore. Uh, and so they actually are having a true second wave because they actually defeated the virus, brought it well within their control, and then it actually stayed at the bottom for a period of weeks before it actually came back up. We have never had enough discipline to make that happen here yet. Yeah, I think it was earlier this, or, or a few days ago, I noticed the, uh, was it in an area around Beijing or in Beijing that's all yes. of a sudden just out of nowhere suddenly has a whole bunch of cases and they've literally just, you know, almost, not literally, but put up a barrier around this area. No one gets in, right. no one gets out type thing. You right. Know, like they, so I mean, that's, that's the thing about that culture is they jump on it. You know, they jump on it, they immediately put in restrictions, they stop people from leaving their homes. I mean, it is like a clamp immediately. And so they can actually, and they con- they're very skilled at contact tracing, so they can literally track every single case, uh, they can monitor people, they can lock them up in their homes. It, it, you know, it's just a different culture and a different government, a different way of life, but they can stamp it out pretty darn quickly. And, you know, we've had uh, certainly, you know, rises of cases here in different parts of the country, and we don't have any any kind of response like that. No, I remember, was it uh, March or April, um, when the universities get out or something, and people still yeah. went out mm-hmm. to the beaches and celebrated? Yep, yep. Sad you know, but true, yes. At the end of summer, or at the beginning of summer, for us it was Memorial Day, and uh, that was the you know the beginning of summer, and somehow people just sort of read that. Oh my gosh, the pandemic must be over. Here we go, <laughs> and yeah. that's how they started treating it. Really sad, but true. That is that's unbelievable. So, what's on the horizon for um, you know it, during the second wave, let's say, and, and if it does start the <clears throat> fall time frame, what's that going to look like? Is the second wave smaller? Because I know mm-hmm. we talked. To, I know we talked about this as a couple of potential views. Mm-hmm. But currently, with what we're seeing now, are we looking at the fall being greater than our first wave, smaller, or? That's a really great question. So, of course, I wish we had a crystal ball, but I will tell you mm-hmm. that many scientists who um, you know are study this aggressively in laboratories uh, are also watching how the virus is changing. So, let me speak for a moment of what's happening in South America. So. And also in Mexico, so which is still in the northern hemisphere, of course. But in Mexico, for example, the the people that are dying and are being seriously ill are actually between the ages of thirty and fifty instead of over sixty-five. Uh, why? Um, not a hundred percent sure. There could be some viral shifts going on there. There could be some issues with that age group. But uh, that's also happening to a great extent in South America. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we're seeing changes in the virus as it's moved down south and now is beginning to move around there? Uh, what's going to happen, of course, when the seasonal, seasonal affect occurs, which is the cooler weather, is that when the virus comes back it, with gusto, I would say, not that it's gone away, please don't get me wrong, but when it actually surfaces back up with a lot of strength, it's likely to be somewhat different because, remember, it's constantly changing and mutating. 
and uh, we'll have the seasonal effect of colder, colder weather. People will be indoors. Um, most people are believing it will be a pretty difficult, difficult uh, winter second wave. So kind of looking at October all the way through February. We could look at, you know, double or tripling maybe the cases that we have now, and that could be the same for the deaths. It could be pretty bad. Um, now, could we change that? Yes, we could <laughs> if we did more things such as aggressive physical distancing, wearing a mask, restricting activities, which, I mean, of course, kills the economy because people aren't going out. But, frankly, I don't think when people are dying in large numbers, they're going to go out either. But mm-hmm. we could actually change that. But I think most people that I work with and talk with believe that it's going to be a really tough winner. It's be interesting the, 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 the masks you mentioned here in the province of Ontario where I live, it's now mandatory. You've got to wear one when you're out mm-hmm. you know, in public places. You know, and do you, people do that? If you're going grocery shopping or you know, the corner store even, everyone's uh-huh. wearing a mask. You have to. And the, uh, the looks you get if you're not wearing one <laughs> are, are quite yeah. incredible because I forgot mine in the car once and I just went into a store to get some milk. And the looks I got, I went back outside, put my mask on, and then came back in. <laughs> You're a good Canadian, Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I live in San Francisco, and we've had a mandatory mask uh, mask for about a mask rule for the last thirty days, and now it's mandatory in the state of California. I will say here in San Francisco that uh, we are still, for the most part, not going anywhere, and. We are wearing masks everywhere, and I would say 95% of the people I am around, I mean, I'm not out much, but whenever I've been out going shopping or I walk every day, uh, everybody has a mask on. Everybody has some sort of facial covering, so they're much more prominent. If we could get more and more people to do that, that would have to have a huge impact. The other thing that's going to complicate the fall, of course, Alex, is the fact that it's influenza season. So Mm -hmm. we're going to have people getting influenza, and we're going to have people also getting COVID. I hope that many people are going to line up quickly for the flu vaccine when it becomes available in September and October, because um, if you don't get the flu, that's just that's a good thing, of course. But secondarily, it minimizes confusion uh, initially for yourself and your family about what might be wrong with you if you start getting respiratory-like symptoms. There are there are differences, of course, between the COVID symptoms versus influenza, but still. Uh, it's also less uh, burden on the healthcare system because we'd have less people with influenza going into hospital that may become seriously ill. Uh, so that would also be an important thing. So I think when people are looking to the fall, they need to be thinking about things such as all of the things we know well about physical distancing, wearing a mask, and so on. They need to get a flu vaccine, and they need to really be careful uh, because of the impacts of what will be happening. Well, what are your opinions then of, uh, you know, a lot of these states and provinces and countries, I guess, might as well just go to that level, that mm-hmm. are starting to open up all these places and masks aren't mandatory, like schools? Yeah, yeah. You know, it is, I think it's a hugely problematic. And I, you know, I get the fact, you know, and I don't, maybe what's going on is that people are having a little temper tantrum, you know, like you're supposed to do this and I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to. And maybe just we just have to have a lot more illness and death before people get this. But the thing I think that listeners need to really understand is that this is going to be our life. This is going to be our life, Alex, mm-hmm. until we have a viable vaccine. 
And that could be, frankly, 18 months, two years, two and a half years, three years. We don't know when there's going to be an, uh, a vaccine that has efficacy that will actually fight off the disease. So until that happens, we need to actually keep doing the same thing we've been doing, which is physical distancing, wearing a mask, uh, and that, frankly, is our life. Now, if we can get over that, then I think we're going to learn how to be in the world. Like if you've been, like I've been in Asia when there's been not a, not a pandemic, but when there's been like a, a, an influenza kind of thing. Everybody's wearing a mask. Everybody's very aware of their environments and they're acting appropriately. People still go out to some extent, but they do it with a very, you know, lots of distance and stuff between people. So it's a it's a shift in your mind to go, this is my life. This is, I mean, I like it. Okay, I don't like wearing a mask. I don't have any, like to have to be physically distanced or not see all my friends or whatever. But we just have to kind of get over it. Otherwise, this just drags on and on and on and on, and more and more people are going to die. Well, it kind of reminds me of the uh, thought process behind a lot of organizations and business continuity, you know, and disasters. It's never going to happen to me. I'll, right. you know, it's always going to happen to somebody else. And, and mm-hmm. to your point, you know, it's not going to change until we actually get impacted ourselves, until we feel right. we're actually impacted. Right. And I think tying it to business continuity, you're, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, my, in my firm, out of our 38 years, we've actually done pandemic planning for over 20. And, uh, you know, here in the United States, the FFIEC requires it in banking that you have a pandemic plan. And I can't tell you how many clients I've written pandemic plans for that, frankly, didn't care about them, didn't really want to ever do anything with them, but they were just doing it to to tick a box, right, to say, yes, I have it, and be able to show it to an auditor. Uh, Because why? Because people don't think it's going to happen. And all of a sudden, when it does happen, then there's like this, oh, my gosh, it's actually happened. And then there's this huge, uh, almost uh, a rejection of of what's directly in front of them. It's a form of cognitive bias where you can't believe what's in front of your eyes, and so therefore you, you know, you refute it. Like, oh, this isn't happening. No, 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 it is happening. No, it's not happening. (laughs) It's crazy, right? It's crazy making. Well, I, you know, not to point fingers at any people specifically, but is. I think that's why some corporate leaders and, you know, legislative leaders are seem to be in denial. You know, right. Uh, well, I think, at least here in the States, the Trump administration has had many, many mixed messages. Even even over the, week, uh, over the weekend, Trump was saying that here in the United States that the virus is going away, they had a good handle on it, and none of those things are true. And so if, if a leader, whether it's at a corporation or a provincial level or a state or a federal uh, government, doesn't say what's really true, then people don't know what to believe. And so then you have people that believe all kinds of things. Uh, and that just gives people permission almost, if you will, to find a less awful um, um, belief system. Like, oh, it's really not that bad. Okay, well, it's not that bad. Well, no, it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but yeah. my leader didn't say that, so I don't believe you. So I think that's part of it. Here in California, we've already had seven public health officers who quit their job in the last 30 days because they were getting death threats, Alex. Death wow. threats. Death threats. Wow. Because people were being required to wear masks in their counties, and they actually would publish people's home phone numbers, their home phone numbers, the names of their kids. I mean, awful, awful stuff on social media, and they were being stalked by people. See, that's crazy. I don't understand. I, I personally don't understand that. You know, a, right. a simple I don't, mask. I don't think it's understandable. 
<laughs> I don't think it's understandable. You know, a simple Crazy. mask can save your life and your family's life. Right. And if you all, if everybody wears it, in my view, you know, I'll think, you know, rainbow happy path, you know, in, in a month, hey, we're all better off. Right. right. You know, I, I think I could suffer with, you know, wearing a mask for a month. <laughs> I don't know why other people, you know, I, maybe some people just like to complain about everything, you know. It could be. <laughs> but, but maybe that's a part of the message, too. If we're not consistent with our, our uh, communications, like you you mentioned, then, mm-hmm. well, if you can't get your story straight, I'm not going to pay any attention to you, and I'll just go off right. and do my own thing. Right. Well, I, I'm sure that's probably a lot of it, too. Inconsistent yeah. messaging. And that's another thing from business continuity, crisis communications, and crisis management. Consistent messaging, prompt messaging, accurate messaging is absolutely essential for your employees to believe you and your customers. And if anyone wants more information on crisis management, uh, Regina and I actually did a show on that. I think uh, <laughs> we uh, did, earlier in we? the earlier this year or late last year, I know there's a show where we actually talked about that. Mhm. Mhm. So, we've come to the end of our second segment and we are talking about COVID-19 with Regina Phelps. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We all know that today our country is in many ways run by vested interests, which have accumulated large amounts of power for themselves and at our expense. But this can be changed by recognizing the problems and then by adopting libertarian solutions to address them. Tune into All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. Judge Gray and his guests will discuss the problem areas of today and then present solutions that result in a better world for ourselves and our children. Tune in Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to preparing for the unexpected with alex fullen email your questions to info at stone-road.com again that's info at stone-road.com now back to preparing for the unexpected and welcome back to the show today we are talking once again with regina phelps and we're talking about covid19 regina um let's talk uh, about um what's the potential of vaccines you know, let, let, what's happening with that right now? Yeah, do that's a really have, good question. Do we have something to look forward to? Mm, well, yes and no. How's that for an answer? No, <laughs> I have a better answer than that. But I want to talk about two things. I'd like to talk about vaccines and I want to talk about therapeutics. Let me talk about therapeutics first because maybe we might get one of those before we get a vaccine. So uh, let me describe the difference between the two of them. So therapeutics are drugs that you would take that would treat the illness. So that means you got sick. You got COVID-19, but there'd be some medication that could be given to you that would uh, ease the symptoms and prevent your disease from progressing to where you would be sick enough to go to hospital and, you know, maybe be intubated or something like that. Um, There's kind of two classes of drugs in therapeutics, so let me just peel those back for you for a moment. Under the actual medications, the two drugs that people might be familiar with, there's a drug called remdesivir that's made by Gilead. And remdesivir is currently being used in quite a few trials, actually, all over the United States, Canada, many, many, many places in the world. And it's a drug that is given to uh, patients once they're in an ICU, so it's not something you would currently be taking if you're, you know, walking around just feel bad. It's pretty much for people that have been pretty seriously ill. And it's actually been effective in about 30% of the people that they have treated. So that is the most reliable drug we currently have. Certainly you've heard of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which was really touted Mm -hmm. by uh, President Trump and a bunch of other uh, kind of um, less mainstream scientists. Uh, There have been lots of studies done on on those two medications. There was a study that was published in Lancet, came out a couple weeks ago, that was actually retracted by Lancet, which is really unusual. Very respected medical publication, but the source data for that study was in in, uh, dispute, and the company that provided the source data could not give up give sufficient backup information, so they actually retracted the study. But there has been quite a few studies that have been conducted on those two drugs, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, in the last three months, and to this date, none of them have proven the drug to be effective. So that means mm-hmm. that in the therapeutic side of the world, the only drug we have is really... Um, uh, remdesivir. There's one other drug that was just reported in the last couple of days, dexamethasone, which is a cortisone-based drug, which has been around forever. Uh, it's a cortisone-type uh, medication, and it's been given to people who were on ventilators, and it's actually improved their uh, situation by about uh, 30 to 40%. 
But again, it's only been really shown to be efficient when people are in really bad condition being on a ventilator. But that's, you know, it's, it's a drug, right? So, mm-hmm. but so to this point, what I'd say to you is there's nothing that you and I could be able to take at home. There's nothing that right now that's available that would make any of us who start to experience symptoms um, that would help us. So the, the drugs that are available, the two that are uh, uh, worth talking about, remdesivir and dexamethasone, is all for people that are hospitalized and often in pretty significant uh, shape. There's also something called immunobased therapies, which you might have heard of, convalescent plasma. You might have heard of that in immunoglobulins. Uh, convalescent plasma means they take blood out of a person who's been sick, and what they do is they uh, then spin off the... Um, the uh, plasma from the red cells, and then they infuse that into a person. Uh, the thing about convalescent plasma is that it does offer an antibody response, but uh, it doesn't necessarily, in the studies that have been shown, it, it helps improve some people, but it doesn't have a lot of what's called neutralizing antibodies, which means that those are the antibodies that actually fight off the illness. So that's um, a mixed, kind of a mixed bag. Again, you're in a hospital when you get that. And the other one is another form of immunobest ther- therapies called interleukin inhibitors, and those are also based in a hospital. They have some, some results, probably 20 or 30% of the people get better. So I guess what I'd say to you in the therapeutics world, there's nothing knocking it out of the park yet. Uh, mainly for all the drugs are for people that are pretty seriously in a hospital, and so there's nothing in the short term. That's for you and I who are just feeling bad with COVID-19 at home and are trying to get better. So that's sort of that where that's at. So so officially, there's nothing we can go to the drugstore and just buy off the shelf, and then Correct. we're fine, right? Correct. Correct. You could certainly take, you know, your usual cold medications <clears throat> to try and minimize your temperature and if you're <laughs> and try and help your cough or things like that. But there's nothing that's really going to treat treat the disease. You're just basically treating symptoms. Right. Okay. So then, then the other question you had was about vaccines, and so there's been yes. a lot, a lot of hype about vaccines, um, in, uh, certainly in the United States, but also around the world. There's lots and lots of initiatives right now. Uh, there's something like uh, 60 vaccines that are going into phase one trials by the end of the year. There are 11 in trials right now. Five of them are from China, six basically in North America and Europe. Um, and just to give you a sense of what trials are all about, there are three levels of trials. Level uh, phase one is where they give it to a uh, to rats or uh, mice that have been bred primarily to uh, receive these kinds of vaccines. And what they're looking for is two things: that it doesn't kill them, and secondarily that it it provo- provides some sort of antibody response, which means that the body tries to fight off an infection. And so uh, of those, uh, once they pass the phase one, then they go to phase two. And in phase two, what happens is that you're actually giving it to a limited number of people. Uh, and again, what you're looking for is two things. It doesn't kill them and that it gives the, has a, a certain amount of efficacy, which means it builds an antibody response. But it's really small. I mean, we're talking 20 people maybe or 30 people. It's a tiny little group. Uh, and then the last phase three is where you're actually giving it to a large number of people. It could be 30,000, 70,000 people. And you can do that trial in two different ways. You can vaccinate, obviously. You give the vaccine to like 70,000, but you're giving placebos to 70,000, right? So you're seeing whether mm-hmm. uh, there's any response. And then also they can also have some of those people actually be willing to be actually exposed to the, I mean, on purpose exposed to the COVID virus. COVID virus. And see what happens. Uh, those are supposed to start um, 
in the next month or so here in the United States, and I think they're already started in China. So what's happening here in the United States uh, is that uh, the federal government is funding a um, a uh, a vaccine production. Even if we, they're going to pick like the top what they think the top three or four candidates are, and they're going to fund uh, risk uh, fund based risking. They're going to basically fund those vaccines, start production of them, whether they know if they work or not. And the whole purpose behind that is that they're, they believe that there's obviously some winners in there and that the goal would be is that they would have some production already happening. What that means is that some of them may not work and it's just money down the drain, uh, and maybe all of them will work to some extent. But the key thing that we need to know is that, first of all, really are they safe? But really even more importantly than that, uh, Alex, is we need to know are, do they have efficacy, which means do they – actually create what's called a um, antibody response. And I can explain a little bit more about that in a minute. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, I know anyone who's listening is probably asking the, the same question to their computers or however they're listening. How far is that from you know us getting a vaccine? <laughs> we've, we've heard, oh, we've heard, we've heard you know, some companies say that, oh, we're really close. Others saying, no way, not even for a year, year and a half yet. So right. what is the you know, logical answer to that? I think, I think in, in the, if all the stars align and all the planets align, I think the best chance of any of us listening to this broadcast getting a needle in our arm is probably somewhere between 12 and 18 months. That would be a miracle from today, mm-hmm. Alex, today. Okay. Now, they may start making vaccine this fall, uh, but we won't, won't know whether it works or not. And then by the time we know what works, it'll probably be somewhere maybe in the January, February, March. And then they have to decide the, all of the issues of who gets it. So let me ask you, Alex, do you think you and I are going to be on the top list of who gets it first? A vaccine? Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> there are so many different <laughs> viewpoints on well, I that. You, Alex, I, I have I, no idea who's going to get it first. I, I, I would think that the frontline workers, you know, and, and that area would get them first. Bingo. That's exactly right. You want, and frankly, that's what you want, right? You want healthcare workers, essential workers, people in police, fire, uh, EMS. Uh, the military. You want people that are in those kind of jobs that have to respond. You want them to be vaccinated first. Then the question is who should get vaccinated next? Well, it should be those people that are the most vulnerable. Older people, people with compromised immune systems, people with comorbidities, they should be the next ones. And then who should get it after that? That's where the free-for-all really comes in. And, you know, I think there'd be a lot of politics all over the place as to who should actually get vaccinated after that. But that's kind of how it would flow out. And and then there's a big distribution issue, right? How do you – I pray they're working on this, Alex. How would you get them effectively distributed to all the areas of your country? How would they then – do you have the sufficient staff to be able to vaccinate people? The last time there was a mass vaccination like this was actually in the time of polio vaccine in the 60s. That's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And that was little sugar cubes, uh, which they gave them to kids and adults as well. But that was a long time ago. So I think the thing I would say to you is that no one on this call 
should be thinking they're going to get a vaccine anytime soon. And if you got a needle in your arm in a year, that would be extremely fast. And you should probably think it's more likely going to be about 18 months. So we could go well into the summer of 2021 before there actually is a vaccine that's going to be in your arm. Well, there's got to be challenges with it, um, you know, global distribution as well. That, that's oh my gosh! Taken into consideration as well. Yes, and you know that you know does it have to be refrigerated? That becomes a big issue in places like Africa and South America, and mm-hmm. we don't know whether it's going to require two shots because some vaccines require two shots, which means you'd have to have a shot and then go back like 30 days later and get another shot. And then you yeah. you may not have people that do come back, and so they don't have full immunity. I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of issues to consider. And then, frankly, the other thing is there's a very large anti-vaccine movement, at least here in the United States and in many parts of the world now, of which here in the U.S. there's been at least 30% of the people that said uh, when surveyed they would not take a vaccine. Which is crazy. It is crazy, and what that means is that the the viruses still keep circulating. And so, I mean, if you're vaccinated, you would have immunity. But the other thing I would say to you, Alex, is there has never been a successful coronavirus vaccine created. They tried with SARS, and they didn't quite get it done. And then because it disappeared off the face of the earth, they stopped. But they tried pretty hard, and they weren't able to successfully make one. Uh, That was a long time ago, though. Keep that in mind. But it's a new vaccine as far as uh, making one. And I will say to you that the coronavirus, which there's seven of them, four of them are from make what makes a common cold every year. And that vaccine, there's no vaccine for the common cold. And I will tell you that if you get the co- get a cold at the beginning of the winter and you think, well, God, I won't get another one, you could actually get another one because sometimes the immunity that you develop is actually quite limited. And there are many people that will have no immunity from a cold even though they just had it and three months go by and they could get another one. So we don't know what the length of time the vaccine will provide us. And so that's another big we don't know. Well, believe it or not, we only have two minutes left. Do you, do you have any uh, final thoughts on uh, the coronavirus right now? Well, I think what I would just ask people to really is to take this conversation seriously. And what I would really ask them to think about is what can they do to not only protect themselves and their family, but really protect the community and the country they live in. And the best thing that they can do is to think about what can I do personally to help minimize the spread of disease. And it's, you know, all of those simple things that we know. Wash your hands a lot. Don't touch your face. Wear a mask. Socially distance. And understand that this is our life, Alex, for the very long and foreseeable future. And I think once we can get past the point of, like, beating on the table going, I don't want to, I don't want to, and get over it, then we can kind of move into this next phase, which is this is our life, and it's going to be this way until we get herd immunity or a good vaccine. So that's what I would really ask all of your listeners to think about. This is our life. Kind of buck it up and let's go. Well, once again, thank you very much for your expertise and your thoughts and your time, Regina. You know, our monthly chats are amazing. <laughs> Alex, I so appreciate you. Thanks so much for the invitation. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. And I know uh, we'll be talking again in another few weeks for our August we show. We so, will. <clears throat> so anyone listening, uh, keep tuned. There'll be uh, part five to our uh, series here with Regina. Uh, So thanks again, Regina, and to everybody out there. If there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, 
please send me an email and uh, we'll see about getting you on the show. Thanks to everyone at Stone Road and BoastAssessment.com for sponsoring today's show. In the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.